Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Eric Bachman is a prolific and esteemed musician who currently calls Athens, Georgia, home. Originally from North Carolina, Bachman initially made a name for himself as the lyricist, singer, and guitarist in the band Archers of Loaf, before starting a quieter outlet called Crooked Fingers. Now working under his own name, Bachman is set to release a wondrous new album called No Recover via Merge Records on September 7th, and he is playing a series of intimate house shows and some club venues throughout the fall of 2018 and into the winter to come. Eric and I recently had an extensive conversation about the inherent fear within parenthood and how he views his own expectations as a new father, his changing singing voice and different modes of expression, his perspective on Arches of Loaf, the current state of America, his new album No Recover, and much, much more. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and of course listeners like you who make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, download episodes, and ask your friends to subscribe to this podcast just like you do, this is the 415th episode of Creative Control featuring Eric Bachman with your host me, Vishkana. Me and you, we go and sat and wait. The expectations always letting you down. No good movies ever show in this town. All the How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's a sunny, beautiful day here in Guelph, Ontario, where I'm calling you from. Where in the world are you? I'm in Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia. Is that where you live? In Buggy, 
humid, soupy Athens, oily <laughs> Athens, Georgia. <laughs> How long have you been in Athens? Um, I've been in Athens for a while. I've been in Athens for about a decade. Where are you from originally? I'm from uh, North Carolina, but I moved a lot. I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, but I moved to Franklin, Tennessee, and Greenville, South Carolina, and Florida, and uh, back to Tennessee, back to Florida. I've, I lived all over, so the southeast is what I like to call home. Okay. Is, North, North Carolina is where I was born. North Carolina is where you... Yeah, it's like, I think I a lot of us associate you with North Carolina for some reason, and, and you know, your old band, maybe. Yeah, because I went to school there, and my father lives in Asheville, and yeah. Okay, okay. Do you miss it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, North Carolina is a weird, wonderful, natural natural world speaking is a wonderful place. And then politically, it's a very strange place because you have all these hyper-intelligent people sandwiched between all these kind of right-wing, you know, people that worry about bathrooms and stuff. You know, people that worry about, you know, right-wing people, you know. Yeah. Is Georgia much better? Not much. Not much. But I guess because I live in Athens and Georgia has Atlanta. Yeah, which is a massive city, and, and I think Atlanta sprawl is so vast, and it is such a progressive kind of mindset in Atlanta. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Uh, more so than than you would say in Raleigh, which is the capital of of North Carolina. That's not as uh, progressive as say Atlanta. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and Athens. I mean, I think a lot of people know Athens because of REM. Is that is that what is most famous about Athens? Maybe. Yeah, and I think maybe to the kids these days it'd be Nutramilk Hotel or whatever. Uh, sure. But yeah, for sure, R.E.M. And, and just the whole uh, music community that was going on in the 70s and 80s there. Vic Chestnut also? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. So is there any particular reasons you, you settled in Athens, if I might ask? Well, my wife's uncle was Vic Chestnut. Your wife's uncle was Vic Chestnut? Yeah, yeah, he is or was, yeah. So uh, I moved here because we became an item. We started dating in 2010, 2009, and I moved here right after he passed away. Oh, man. Huh. And I think one of the reasons why she responded so well to me, and this wasn't intentional, was because I was the one son of a bitch that didn't want to talk to her about Vic. <laughs> I was the one person that didn't want to say, I'm so sorry, but because I, I didn't know him. That, I knew him. I recorded him a couple of times, played a few shows with him, and we were friendly. But I wasn't part of his community here in Athens because I was a North Carolina boy, as you were just saying. So uh, I think when I came in, it was kind of a respite for her to not have to deal with Vic, Vic, Vic all the time after he passed away. And uh, we, we hit it off. But I was, I was also sensitive to it because I knew him, you know. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed Vic a, a couple of times, and it was a th real thrill. And uh, and uh, his passing took me, it hit me pretty hard, I have to say. It happened, I believe, over Christmas of many years ago now, uh, a few years ago now. Um, and you, sorry, you say you recorded with him. Well, I recorded Liz Durrett is my wife. I recorded her last album that she made in 2007. Mm-hmm. And, and he had produced the previous two or three of her records, and he came in on, on some of those sessions, and he played and sang a little bit. So I recorded, when I was recording her, I recorded, quite literally, record, pressed record when he was, when he was you know, whatever, uh, singing or playing. Hmm. So I didn't record with him like my band didn't record with him, or I didn't personally do songs with him, but I was producing a record that he, play, he performed on. So you, you almost knew him more professionally than personally. Uh, exactly. I didn't know him personally at all. That's okay. correct. Okay, interesting. Well, that's fascinating. I had no idea. That's that's really yep. fascinating. Okay, well, that explains that explains all that. Uh, I uh, want to congratulate you on this new album, No Recover, first of all. Thank, thank you so much. It's a lovely, lovely record. It's a heavy record, I think. And, um, and I wonder if you want to begin by just um, talking about maybe where you were coming from with this batch of songs. I have my own ideas. I hear lots of thunder i hear lots of rumbling i hear some apocalyptic stuff i hear some stuff about mortality i can hear the the new parenthood 
in it as well. Uh, it's all kind of in there. But can you, after now that I've analyzed your record for you in a nutshell... <laughs> That's good, though, yeah. <laughs> Nothing you, is off. <laughs> Nothing that you're saying is too far off. So yeah, not yeah. Far off at all, yeah. That's good. That's that makes me feel okay. So, where, where, where was your mindset when you came up with this batch of songs? So I knew I didn't want to make a record after having a child that was about my child, uh, overtly. You know, I didn't want it to be ham ham fisted, or I didn't want it to have this thing about this is an album about my son. It's not really an album about my son, and it's not. Um, but it is, you know, everybody told me when I had a child that I wasn't going to be able to uh, get any work done for the first year or two. And I think there's a lot of truth in that when you, when you're, you're, cause you're overwhelmed with all the work that it takes to just keep this person from, you know, keep them staying alive and keep feed them. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of work, you know, so as you know, so, but the, the great, inter- the interesting thing about all that was that I, when he was born, I, I had this flood of ideas. And all, all this, this album is that flood of ideas. I had all these song ideas that came out. I had about 14 songs, and I'm very uh, self-loathing. And I'm very self-critical, and I edited it down to nine, eight or nine songs, obviously. And uh, basically, in a nutshell, they're about me trying to reconcile all the things I don't like about myself so I don't pass them on oh, okay. to my son. Hmm. So in a way, it becomes it becomes like a song like daylight is a song about how I don't want my, my son to think about killing himself 20 times a day. Hmm. I'd rather him thinking about it two times a day, you know, or, or you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not unrealistic, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's all about eliminating self-loathing. So he doesn't have it. And it's all about, uh, you know, and, and the current political situation in the U S is pretty, pretty daunting. What, whatever side you're on, you know, uh, obviously I'm more progressive person, but, it's just a real bad time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have this child and you're, you're bringing them into this horrible situation, you know? So all that stuff is in there, but it became a real personal record. It's not really, it's, it's more about, it's more selfish than that. You know, the record's actually quite a selfish record because it's about me trying to improve myself. I'd be a therapist to myself. So I don't pass all that crap along to my, to my child, to my, to my son. But in, in your, in your writing of this record and in your sort of, I guess, analysis of yourself, did you see things going on that maybe had a universal appeal? Like I, I'm thinking of Murmuration Song. There's a, the the I believe it's the final verse. The lyrics are, nobody hates you like you hate yourself. They're all busy doing something else. Nobody tagging you with anything. Unfortunate son descended from unrealistic expectations. Now, I can see where you're. You say you're a, a you know, you 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 have some self-loathing, and you reduce the songs from fourteen to nine. And I hear that. I hear that in that lyric. But I also this nobody tagging you with anything reminded me of social media. This unfortunate son descended from unrealistic expectations. I feel like a lot of us, and I've talked about this with various people on this show. I think a lot of us have really high expectations for ourselves and they're really hard to fulfill and and this yeah. this notion of uh, expectation comes up a few times on this record i believe there's another song uh that it's escaping me at the moment but i feel like you you mentioned it again and um yeah. and that's why i just wonder this notion of sort of external expectation and 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 maybe your own internal oh yeah it's no recovery you say expectations only getting you down well, that's right yeah that's right. so there's this notion of of I guess disappointment <laughs> in yeah. in yourself and in what life had in store for you. Perhaps where does that all emanate from? This is a long-winded way of saying, Eric, what's wrong? What? Yeah, no, no. I, I think the particular 
thread in the record that you're referring to. It's it's great that you hear them. You know, a lot of people don't even hear them, but uh, is really directed. I'm not even bummed about the fact that I feel like a failure or whatever. I'm not even worried about that. I don't really care at this point. I'm 48. I got a, I got property and some money and a wife and a kid. I'm, I got a nice dog. You know? <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not really uh, absorbed. I'm self-loathing, but I'm not absorbed by it. You know what I mean? So that particular thread, it goes against what I just discussed in your previous question, is that I want, I, I, this is this would be horrible parenting, I know that, but what I, what I want to do is leave my child a lot of money and teach him not to be an asshole mm. and just like live, live at our lake property and just be a good person and not have to feel like he has to achieve anything because that expectation is the very thing that, fuels your self-loathing because you always feel like you didn't get there you know so you're communicating to your son by talking to yourself a little bit that's exactly right so so at least in in, in terms of that thread and really a lot of threads but that that's right because i don't I, I don't want i mean i grew up in a situation and this isn't my dad or my mom per se but just the whole culture of your family and i think we all do where you're you know you got it's a success driven culture that we live in it's a success driven thing and I used to always question when they would say, well, that guy, he just works in a restaurant. He's just a waiter. Yeah. He's kind of a bum, you know? Yeah. And I was like, man, that's a shitty thing to think, man. What if he's, what, what if he makes $28,000 a year, pays $600 a month in a little clean apartment he lives in and he's happy and he gets to drink with his buddies and, and that's it. And he's fine. And maybe he has a girlfriend, maybe he has a kid, whatever. But why is that an evil thing to be, uh, or, or not an evil, but a, a, a disparaging yeah despair why do people criticize it you know yeah. well there's this guy he work, he's working 40 hours a week 38 hours a week and he's he's serving people food you know and he's doing his thing why do people criticize this hmm. so I, I don't want him to feel that from me he'll feel it enough from the world we live in you know well there's so, a parental impulse to I, I feel like it, it might be more in my parents generation you're a little bit older than me I guess you got uh, almost a decade on me but mm-hmm. I, I feel like our parents put a lot of pressure on us generally uh, to be doctors, lawyers. You know, they really wanted for some reason. Sure. I think, again, I, I know it when I'm talking to my kids, like I know what I'm saying to them is really a projection of myself, and that's what you're going through now, too. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah, right, that's everything right. I'm saying is like, you shouldn't do that. Like, that's a thing I do. You shouldn't. Yeah. You should probably learn how to play. Like I've got my six-year-old son in piano lessons because I never had him. I think. I, I think subconsciously right. he's totally interested in music. But there's yeah. this. There's this. There's a thing with parents where you, you want to correct a wrong, and you're the but wrong. Yeah. Right. It's weird. It's a very strange thing, and so that's where all the pressure. You're putting pressure on yourself to not have this little creature be exactly like you, but. But sort of be like you. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Be like the improved version of you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so you think this is a societal pressure. I, I guess I was pointing to like, I was generalizing about parents generally. But I, I do think that pressure is calming down maybe among people of maybe your vintage and my vintage. We're a bit more yeah. realistic about these things. Would you agree? I would in the sense that my father would have never... Uh, I have a good relationship with my father, uh, and he didn't necessarily. He he was always pretty supportive. He early on he was like, "What are you doing?" You know, he wouldn't say it. He didn't say much, but the energy was was like, "What the hell are you doing?" You know. And then first time I was on Jimmy Fallon, or the first time I was on a magazine cover, he recognized Spin or what? Whatever. I was never on that, but just something yeah. he could. He had a point of reference that 
was emblematic of success to him, you know, he kind of backed off and I never asked him for a dime. So that was also a, a big thing, but that's not him. That's just that generation, you know, yeah. they're very money driven, but I do think that, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think it's okay to give, I think it's okay to give him guidance. I don't think it's like, I'm not telling my son to be a, 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 a lazy person. I'm, I'm telling him, and I'm not necessarily saying follow your passion because most people that follow their passion, when they fail, they got to get a job. They hate, you know, I guess I just don't want them to, to, to feel any sense of failure or success. I want it to be even strive for even yeah. you know, strive for an even thing. Cause I, I, I've made comments around grandparents, his grandparents, my parent, my mother and father-in-law and my, my, my own parents about, well, I hope he ends up, I hope he ends up being an artist. I'm going to tell him to try and be an artist. Cause he, if he starts at like 15 making Joseph Cornell type boxes or something, and he's an artist and he knows how to commodify it, he's not going to ever be anybody's bitch. He's going to be an artist. He's going to make right. a lot of money and he's, and he's going to be, that's a great life. That's the, and I'm going to teach him to go for it, you know? Mm. Uh, and they, they just shoot me. Look like you're insane. You know that's a horrible advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you're saying money driven. Like they, maybe the, our our parents were money driven, but I, I do think there's an intertwining uh, relationship between the money driven stuff and reality. The stuff that yeah. you have chosen to do, uh, like the music, and that's I think probably like I'm I'm trying to see my parents. My parents are really down on music. My interest in music was not. They didn't support yeah. it, right? Like right, whether right. it was playing or writing about it or talking to people, whatever, like they just are concerned. But I do think that the reality, it's a one in a million shot to succeed at some of these things, right? Yeah, that's right. That's so they, right. they they want you to take not only, I don't know if it's just money. I think they're like, I think the subtext is be realistic, you know? Yeah. Not everyone can fulfill their dream, which is a shitty thing to tell a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. But there's truth in it too, though. There, there is. There's a lot. Of, I mean, I don't want to be the type of parent that tells a kid they're great at everything when they're not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to miss, you know, I don't want to make, cause then they end up being entitled and all this other stuff. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think back to the, to the point of, of expectation and, and what you're trying to do with, with raising a kid and even with yourself, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really shaving off the extreme edges of it. Like you just want to be even like, I, I don't want him to shoot for being Jerry Seinfeld. If he just wants to be a comic and I don't want him to be Mick Jagger. If he's a rock star, I don't, I just like, you know, I, I, I make a living doing what I love to do. And I don't have to deal with any of that crap. I don't yeah. have to be a star. I don't have to, I can go get coffee. Nobody bothers me. Or if somebody bothers me, it's once a year, you know, it's very, and yet you can go play shows and make a little bit of a living and a decent living. And like, I guess, I, I guess I want to use that as a, as a pattern for him. Like you can, you, know, you don't have to go for extremes. Yeah, that's fair. That's 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 in it. That's realistic. That's the same thing that maybe our parents had. It just isn't. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, you're like, be an artist, but make money at being an artist. Like, be be. Well, a... I, I, it's, it's, I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, I realize the absurdity of that advice. I do realize it. I do. I do. No, but it's feasible. But it, it is feasible. And I mean, there's a in this yeah. the economy is so confusing. But there's so many self-made people now. I yeah, mean. Yeah. Because they I, mean, did. I did it, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. You, you you do you do succeed. You said something earlier about um, people saying that when you had a kid, you wouldn't be able to do much work. Um, and yeah. I I sense a kind of I do I think having children does impact your work. It gives your work greater urgency. It, it creates um, 
you, you, you value your schedule more, I think, uh, is what I, what I found. Like, oh, okay, he's going to be asleep at 7 uh, or 8. Yeah. I'm going to work until midnight or 1 and get that stuff done. And that's my plan, you know, kind of thing. Right. But I also think um, what I've, as my parents get older and my children get older, I'm also now confronting the mortality. Um, there's an urgency there, too. Like, life feels shakier somehow, even though there's a lot of hope in my kids. The other side of it is, like I say, it's it's getting to be a time where I have to deal with other stuff. Um, and I sense, like, when I think of songs here like Boom and Shake, Waylaid, there's this sense that you're grappling with mortality. And I wonder if that's tied to becoming a new parent. So when people tell you you don't understand love until you have a child, I don't agree with that. I think I knew, I think I've loved, I think I love my wife as much as I love my child. I, I don't think it's fair to say you don't, uh, to somebody that doesn't have kids, if you're listening to this, I think you do understand what love is. You don't have to have a kid to understand that. What you don't understand if you don't have a kid, and this is what those songs are, this is what's bringing out the apocalyptic edge to what I'm saying or in, in, the, in the music, is if fear of your child dying before you Mm -hmm. or getting hurt in a way that's damaging to their life as a whole, that fear, and maybe it's, it's semantics, but it's not the feel good love stuff. It's, it's the fear of them being hurt of something like that. The, the, the vastness of that fear, you can't understand it until you have a little dude, maybe a little bit. If you have a dog, like I love my dog, whatever, you know, but you, that's what changes, and that 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 creeps out in me. It creeps out, and it creeps out in, the, in this record. It, it creeps out in a very, especially with the political climate here in the U.S. and just the way we don't give a shit about each other with our health care and stuff. We just don't care about each other, you know. Gun control, all of it, yeah. All of it, all of it, you know. We don't care. Yeah. And so that stuff is is really ex, is is exaggerated. It's hyperbolized in your mind when you live in America, <laughs> and and. Uh, and you have a kid all of a sudden, and you know that, you know, just the, I don't know what I would do. I think, I guess it'd be an easy thing for me to do if my, if my son passed away. I would just, I would just take my own life. I just, that's what I would do because I couldn't handle it. You, you, you've already determined that that's the case. I think, I mean, I think so. Or go into the woods and just disappear and, you know, probably starve, you know, whatever. I don't know what I would do, but it, it would be so, I mean, the, the idea, and maybe you toughen up as you, if you, if you, if it happens to you, you toughen up. People are very resilient. Our species is pretty resilient, but. Eric, Eric how, how old is your son? He's 16 months old. Right. So this is all new. This is new. There's a rawness to this record. Like, I, I know your work rather well, and I know that you're, uh, because you're self-critical, I know that you refine, and I can tell, I can see the work in your lyrics, is I guess what I'm saying. I feel like you work on them. Um, yep. And you get them down to, to what you want to put across. But I also get the impression, I don't know when these songs were written necessarily. Were they all written after the birth of your Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sense to me that it is very raw. It's a very visceral reflection. It's a reflection of a very visceral reaction to a life-changing event. That's correct. And so within that, and I'm not trying to uh, uh, criticize this in any way, I sense a certain amount of drama uh, in it as well. Because it's just like, holy Lord, like this is the most overwhelming thing that's ever happened to me, and that comes, yeah, yeah. it's coming through. Even when you sing in a measured tone, it's just coming through. And now you say, if something happened to my son, that would be it for me. I'm gonna suggest to you that you will settle down at some point. I've had yeah, the same so. thoughts. I have them more now. You know, once right. you, once your kids are more like, no, they're not crawling anymore. They're walking. They're 
My kid just went to the I went to the Costco with my kid yesterday. <laughs> And he yeah, had to yeah. go to the bathroom. And for the first time, I said, I was, we were at the checkout. I was like, yeah, just go. I would normally be like, I'll, okay, I'll go with you. And I watched him the whole, with my daughter in the cart, you know? At some yeah. point, you, at some point, you do let go a little, I guess is what I'm trying to impart yeah. to you. And I'm sure you're aware of this. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly am aware that that's what's supposed to happen. I'm sure that we'll do that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm going to defend it in the sense that it's also, I'm a writer, I'm writing. A story so i have to yeah. make it work you know yeah. so the drama part I, that's fine you know I, I want it to be uh compelling and and almost you can put it to a stage as well you know i, I write like that as well where i see it but well, where the, i want to be able to see it there's but. there's stuff here that i mean i i think people like in boom and shake you say stray dogs cover the mountaintop howling hosting mosquitoes landslides crash into wildfires stealing daughters and sons so you've, yeah. got, you've got this imagery of this wild, and again, this is a, I would say, boom and shake. It's about basically the earth destroying itself, I would say, um, yeah. or, or coming alive and, and getting revenge even, perhaps. My my mother lived in Penahashel on Lake Atitlan uh, in Guatemala for about a decade and a half. She lived there before the, the, the 1990. I guess the civil war ended in 92 or 94, somewhere in there. And, uh, I, I apologize to anybody from Guatemala that knows the exact date, but it was in the nineties that it ended. Yeah. And, uh, she lived there before the nineties and she lived there afterwards. And Lake Atitlan, if you know the, ge- uh, geological history of it, uh, that song is very much stealing image from that region. Oh, I see. So, and there's three volcanoes, uh, that are there and that the lake is a big caldera and, 80, I think it was 80,000 years ago, they estimate, was when that went off. And that's, uh, and of course, there's landslides there all the time, and there's wildfires there all the time. And uh, they, you know, thousands upon thousands of people die in landslides all the time. And it's a very, the Mayans, there's a Kiche, Kakchikel, and Zutuil Mayans living all around that lake. Uh, it's a, you know, beautiful weaving uh, fabrics and things. It's just a beautiful place, you know. And so all that imagery is basically waiting for that to happen again, what happened 80,000 years ago. So you're thinking about your son, you're thinking about the future, what his mm-hmm. life is going to be like, but you're also thinking about your mother. There's a song here, the song that I believe is dedicated to your son, Dead and Gone. It's the final yeah, song. Yeah, that's correct. Final yeah. song on the record. When I was a young boy, mother sat me down and basically, I'm not going to give too much away here, but basically imparts wisdom to you. You're doing it. I think you're doing what I what I posited. This notion of like you have a kid, but then you start thinking about your parents and what they did and how they treated you, and you're trying to refine all of that as you go yeah. forward, right? That's that's happening. Yeah, but I, yeah, I don't think my parents did that horrible of a job, though. I don't think that it's uh, like I think they did pretty well considering um, all the people that are around me and who are all. Who are all <laughs> I landed pretty well. Oh, I, I wasn't pretty... suggesting it was a criticism of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay, I, I mean, I just mean you're. Yeah. You, as a parent, you begin reflecting upon your own parents. When yeah, you become a parent, you just sort of think about how, because they're your guideposts, they're your foundation. Of, like no one knows people. Are, like I have friends who are just having kids. They're like, what do I do when this happens? Or, and I'm like, well, you just do it. You know, you kind of just. I know there's no guidebook really. You just react. Yeah. To them. There's things, of course, that I shouldn't say that. There's <laughs> there's certain yeah. <laughs> certain yeah. things you should get. You know, make sure the kid eats and sleeps. <laughs> And yeah, no, no machetes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there's that <laughs> stuff too. So it is. I can. I, I hear it all on this record, and and there's a really stunning vocal here on the second song, 
uh, daylight. And I, it makes me want to ask you about your voice. I'm sure you feel that these questions over the years since Crooked Fingers began as well. There is a marked difference between the voice we came to know you from in, in Archers of Loaf and these, the iteration of you going solo, whether it's Crooked Fingers or now as yourself. Can you talk about your voice a little bit just in terms of your, because you also, I you know, you and I met in Calgary. I remember, I recognize your voice from that, interestingly enough. Oh, do you? Yeah, we walked yeah. around together a little bit, and then we yeah. sat on a couch in a hotel. In the hotel, yeah, in the hotel, I remember that. Yeah, yep. so i I huge fan of yours, and, and you had to go, that was, Archer's Loaf had been disbanded for quite some time, you'd been doing Crooked Fingers, in fact, you played a Crooked Fingers set as part mm-hmm. of Sled Island in this little club, so you had to, your voice was just in this oscillation <laughs> in that period, and I wonder if you can talk about that. Like, uh, the, the, well, yeah, it's easy to me to talk about because it's all very scientific. I mean, the archers were loud, <clears throat> excuse me, were loud guitars, and uh, and I was screaming over that stuff mm-hmm. just to fight the and give it a sense of urgency. And it was a more of a influenced by punk bands and you know television and Mission of Burma and things like that. And so it, it was in that world. And and I, I was nineteen or twenty when that band started. And I sang like that, and we went on tour, and we toured a lot. And I really, really, I smoked a lot, I drank a lot, I did drugs a lot back then. And I really dried out my throat, and I really damaged my throat. Hmm. And I damaged my hearing, my left ear, especially about above 3,000 hertz, I can't hear, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, but the good news is that I've worn earplugs for about a decade now, and it's not gotten any worse. Oh, good. So that's good. Um, but... Essentially, when I went to my ENT doctor in Durham, this was in 1999, right after the, right after Crooked Fingers, or right after Archer stopped and Crooked Fingers started in 98, at that transi- the transition, uh, the doctor's like, you're going to lose your voice at like 50 if you don't, if you, you can't do this, you know, you can't sing 200 days a year, drink a, f- drink a half a fifth of Jack Daniels and six beers and smoke two packs of cigarettes and do, you know, six lines of blow. You can't do that, you know, Yeah, and sing like that. Wait, wait a minute. So, Were you doing all of those things? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't realize that, huh? Absolutely. So, and I, that that I stopped smoking when I was thirty-seven, and uh, I've been everything else sort of gradually dropped to a low thing there. Obviously, I don't do drugs anymore, but uh, the alcohol I drink very little now. Um, so was the ENT telling you to just stop that behavior or stop? No, singing? the singing. It was oh. about the sing- it was about all of it. The okay. ENT was about it was about all of it. But uh, but essentially. Uh, I just started singing differently. I stopped screaming and I started, and I also started writing quieter music that I didn't have to scream over because quite just to be straightforward, I, I was sick of screaming. I was sick of playing loud music and I knew I could sing, but I had done, I had been in a band where the aesthetic was, it's kind of lame to sing. Why don't you just scream and be cool? Like, you know, Joe Strummer. And that's what I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I knew I could also hold pitch and sing event, you know, if I could figure, you know, if I could write music that was appropriate to do that. So it was kind of this sort of subconscious, sort of intentional direction change, aesthetic direction change, where I could become more of a singer-songwriter. I mean, I guess I knew I wanted to do this until I was dead. Yeah, yeah. Just being, being a musician and be a songwriter. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sing audio horror at age 70. Right. So I started writing songs that I could play with a guitar by myself and sing until I was dead. And that way I could make a living, you know, doing it until I was dead because I knew I was never going to be a rock star I knew I didn't have the charisma for that I didn't have I couldn't put my ass on an album cover with an American flag behind it I couldn't do that you know right right and I just didn't have that talent you know uh, um 
but I felt like I could write and I felt like I could play and I felt like I could sing well enough to do it, you know? And, and so every, every morsel of my being was sort of changing in a way just aesthetically so I could do it forever. And also the doctor's like, man, you can't keep singing like that. Right. Okay. And, and treating your body like that. So it all was kind of slowly morphing. And, you know, when I listened to the first two Crooked Fingers records, uh, it's really fascinating to me because I couldn't get a note out unless I sang. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Really loud. I couldn't sing quietly because my voice was so shredded. Mm. And I, I really, I don't, I don't actually cringe when I hear them because they're charming. But I, I mean, I had to sing a song like Man Who Died or I had to sing those that way because I couldn't get any air out of it. And I remember singing the song Broken Man, which was more like what Daylight is like. Mm-hmm. It was a real kind of high, lighter one. And it took me like three days to get the vocals because my voice was so shredded. I had to do different takes. Like, dude, I did the first verse today. I finally could get that to a point. And over time it healed. And now it's healed because I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I've been singing properly or pro- whatever that means. I don't know if it's proper, but I've been singing differently. Yeah. And, uh, and so now it's just kind of honed it and working with people like Nico case, like she's a great singer yes. and she wasn't a great singer at the I mean, I think she's been a great singer the whole time, but to hear, hear her talk about it and how she's worked on it is kind of an inspiration and, you know, working with her. And uh, so a lot of it's, it's real gradual, but a lot of it's subconscious, a lot of it's intentional and a lot of it's just science, just the medical. I had to stop doing it that way, you know? So did you have... I, I can I can think of few people who have uh, sort of multiple modes. Uh, I mean, sorry, that's not true. There's lots of people maybe that do, but you, I think, are among. I would place it right up there with like Dylan releasing Nashville Skyline. You know, just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a guy with a totally different like, oh, it's it's Eric from Archers of Loaf. Let's put this on. Oh, wait a minute, like he's kind of crooning now. Yeah, where did this come from? Like, uh, did. did have you had that reception? Do people were people kind of jarred by it when it first? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Archers fans don't want to hear it, you know. And then people that that came later and want want to hear me now, they don't want to hear the Archers stuff. It's you know, it's yeah. I don't care. I'm just trying to make a living doing what I love to do. So you know, you don't like it. I'm sorry, man. If you do, thank you. You know, whatever it doesn't bother me. But it's not anything I think of in a public way. Like I don't. I really don't care if uh, if somebody doesn't like I, I had one guy in Maine that was just furious that I had changed the sound of my voice. <laughs> he was so mad that I didn't scream anymore and didn't have that rasp. Right. Yeah. No, I I had, I'm like, 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, cool, man. Thanks for the 25 bucks. You just paid to see it. <laughs> you know, don't come again. Whatever. You know. I uh, attended the um, what, what, initially the last Archers of Love tour. There was a show in London, Ontario at a, a venue called the Embassy. Oh, I love that place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's gone now, unfortunately. I know. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So I, I, I attended that show. Like, is that. Is your voice one of the reasons that band stopped? Like your issues, I mean? Uh, I mean, I, I think we would have kept going and it would have sounded more like what I ended up sounding like anyway. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it, I think the band broke up because we were burnt. Yeah. I think the band, like many bands, was kind of pushed in a way that we weren't ready to do. Uh, like, you know, they really want to work young bands very hard on the road. And, and uh, I'm not sure how beneficial that is. It is for some bands, but, you know. So we just burnt out, and then our drummer had some health issues with his carpal tunnel. Yeah. And, I mean, we were touring our butts off, working our butts off, and nothing was growing financially. Nothing was getting bigger. In fact, it was shrinking. Right. So, it's, right. you know, we made $7,000 for a seven-week tour. <laughs> and we did that in 1993, and we did it in 1998. You know, and it's like, well, it's not growing. And, and, yeah. and I think everybody was burnt and bored, and, and just uh, I knew I wanted to do something different. I knew I was kind of sick of being in a guitar rock band. Yeah. So the and, yeah. yeah so the reissues for the uh, the band the the records started coming out in what 2010 2011 or something like that yeah 2011 yeah yeah and then you did this was it a reunion tour in 2012 yeah yeah you did we did a couple of years I mean we did 2011 and 12 I think we did some touring to about 25 weekend 25 shows each year and so did that experience give you a new perspective on that band. Uh, yeah, it was fun, man. I mean, I, lo I love those people, and I, I actually like that music uh, after taking a break from it for 13 years. I mean, you can't ever go back in the sense that I can't be 22 again, uh, but I actually, one of the things that was most appealing about it is because I changed the way I sang. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about, actually, among other I things. I mean, physically, I had changed the way my it came out of my stomach instead of my throat, and just all that, all that stuff uh, had become kind of more... Uh, sustainable the way I sang it was actually really rewarding because I didn't back in the day I would sing two shows on tour and I'd be shot for the rest of the tour yeah with this because I sang with more air and sang with more support in my in my stomach and my diaphragm I could I didn't really lose my lose my voice which was great which makes me want to do more of it if, if we can figure out a way to do it uh, and by that I mean write more music because I don't want to just do it without with our old music I'd like to make new music if we were to do it but uh, but I don't know you know I I really enjoyed it. I would like to do more of it. Is there a sense Again, from the others that that's something oh, they yeah. do? Yeah, everybody wants to do it. I have to write the songs. Oh, you know, I see. And I haven't been able to. I haven't been able to write. I mean, I'm not going to give the archers dead and gone. I'm not going to give the archers no recover. You know, I mean, I'm not going to give them the mellow, mellow stuff that nobody wants to hear. Mm. But I do have other songs that would be more of a rock band, like guitar, bass, drums kind of setup. I just haven't finished them, and I haven't. But Eric Johnson, the guitar player for the Archers, is the guitar player. All the electric guitar, all of it, all of the electric guitar on the new record on No Recover is Eric Johnson from the Archers. That's right. And is that, I mean, for those of us who can't keep, you're a prolific guy. Is that a new development in terms of you guys collaborating? Yeah. I mean, we've never done anything outside of the Archers. And I always kind of thought of it like, well, let's just never work with those guys because that'll keep the Archers a thing, you know. And mm -hmm. I still kind of feel that way, although Matt's played bass with, some, with me on some stuff. But yeah. Um, 
I just like Eric's guitar playing. I mean, I'm just a fan of what he does. I was a fan when he was in the band with me, and I'm a fan now. He, he makes his own little records now that are great, and mm-hmm. and I, I, nobody knows about them because he doesn't care about putting them out. But, I mean, I just like his playing. It's abstract. It's not cliched. It's it's just a weird thing that he does. It's also, when you don't expect it, it's very melodic and, you know, very accessible, but also very weird. He's just a weird guy, you know, and uh, I love the way he thinks about stuff. So, I, I don't know. I would love to work with him again. And uh, and we, we talked about it when we recorded these songs. We talked about doing more Archer stuff. And he's like, well, you just let me know, man. <laughs> so he's just waiting for me. Well you, well, you say, like, you couldn't give him daylight. You couldn't give him some of these songs, right? Like, And Archer, yeah. Archer's had a very particular point of view, I would say. It was... It was of its time, probably of of your time, being a younger yeah. guy, kind of angry, a little cynical, abstract, Absolutely. abstract, artful. Like you're going to have to basically, beyond your singing being different, it sounds like to me like you're going to have to switch modes as a writer potentially, right? Well, not not necessarily. And this is a giveaway. I apologize to Archer's fans that want it to be more authentic. You know, in a way, you're you're. It's like David Bowie. You're kind of acting. You know, with the Archers, I was a smartass. It was easy to put on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a put on, man. I'm sorry. You know, it's kind of a. I'm just being a smart ass punk kid. You know. Yeah. And but it's, but it's you of, but you were kind of at the time. Oh, definitely. No, I mean it's it's a part it's a part of of a personality that you know it's your, it's your personality, but it's an it's just an aspect of it that I would never. I guess I would never uh, write a song with that character that I can do. That's part of me. You know, mm-hmm. I would never write a song about how I don't want my son to kill himself you know like think about it like i do you know what i mean i would never it's just too sensitive it's too hmm. personal hmm. the archers is more of a detached yeah it's more detached it's more socially analytical and less personal hmm. it's more making fun of walmart and more more critical it's more punk that way you know more socially comment so, social commentary than than what i write now when i write solo or when, when i wrote for crooked fingers it was more um uh, personal you know yeah so when you say you have to write the songs, have you even attempted to write in that mode? Yeah, I have. It's e- it's e- it's not easy. Nothing's easy, but it's um, it's happening. It's just slow because I have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just slow. So there's, it's hard to get the work done, like my friend said, you know. So, uh, but but like you notice the the sort of explosion of ideas that I had after my son was born that became this record, and that happened quite easily. And then all the other stuff that I was working on. I'm trying to do with Archer stuff. We're trying to make new records. I mean, it's all coming out sideways and coming out, you know, it all comes out together kind of, so you have to sort of sift through it and organize it in your mind. So that has to happen, but it's not, it's not an impossible thing for me to sit down and write an Archer's song, some song that would work for the Archer's, but so, I've got a few ideas that are working, you know? Right. So you, you are, it's on your priority list, but it's not imminent necessarily. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I can't, you can't force these things. I'm, I'm not the type. I am the type of person that sits that, can, that wants to sit, sit down from nine to five and write and get something done. And I do believe in that ethic. But I, it does have to come to you. It does have to hit you, you know. And it's just not hit me in, in the form of okay, now we've got sixteen new songs or whatever. Right. That hasn't that hasn't happened yet. It's just, it's a gradual oozing of ideas that eventually form, you know. And that's not happened yet. Well, per, but but perhaps, you know, you were talking about the times we live in and bringing a, a kid into this world. Maybe this is the right time for archers. Like the right it, Yeah, I know. It is. It is except for I don't want to I don't want to honor 
Like I would never write a song about Donald Trump because he doesn't deserve my time. Yes, you know, of course. you know what I mean. Yeah. I just, it's just not. I mean, I don't. He's not. I know that a lot of people disagree with me. He's not a genocidal dictator. He's not. You know, I don't want to. He's problematic, and he's not intelligent as as somebody that I would like to be the leader of the country that I'm from. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously vested in interests that aren't in line with what my interests are. You know, he's definitely a money driven guy for his friends you know yeah uh and i'm being very friendly right now of course but uh he's but a, i don't want yeah, you're not taking you don't think he's he deserves to be taken that seriously I, i'd rather write about stuff that matters more like yeah. i don't i don't think he i mean i know that he could matter if he does all this immigration stuff if he keeps putting kids in uh, detaining you know all the stuff that he does that's been criticized mm-hmm. in, in a justifiable way um i i don't i know that i don't i don't want to ignore it either because you don't want to have him become this horrible demagogue that becomes a, you know, a horrible part of history or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But he's not, he's not done that yet. Uh, it, to the degree that it's been done by people like Joe Stalin and stuff or whatever. But, uh, uh, but so I don't want to ignore it, but I don't feel like I just don't want to honor it. I don't want to, he, he doesn't deserve it. You know, I don't want to give it to him. You know what I mean? I no, no, I, I do. Th- I've talked to a few, I talked to many Americans actually through my work and, and I, I, the, one of the common threads I've heard in terms of trying to find hope in all of this and, and also efficacy in terms of change is on a local and a community level, like kind of engaging yeah. and, and writing about and bolstering your local situation so that it's sort of it's a building yeah. block for other communities so it sounds to me and knowing you as a i think of you as like a community-minded person i could see you delving into those interpersonal dynamics for for songwriting fodder for archers perhaps yeah yeah that's right it, it's so it's also it's also so bad you can write about it in such a way that even if you're just abstract you can still be singing about it without giving it giving it away too much because there's so much yeah there, you know. Yeah. Well, I know you, uh, you. You were saying that the archers' experience in 2011, 2012 was fun. What do you make of this clamoring for, you know, bands of your vintage, uh, of your time period? It's it's still going on, and it's it, people are are getting back together. And in my experience, the bands that I've seen that I used to watch in the 90s or early 2000s that sort of return. I will say this about your Sled Island show, the Archers Sled Island show. It felt better like it felt like the band <laughs> often the band feel seems better as they're older do you i guess it's two questions like the clamoring is one thing from younger people to see a thing they didn't get to see i think and older people who are like yeah, i want to relive that time yeah. but there's also this sense i think that the musicianship is is better there's more urgency to the you know all the petty grievances in a band that can occur are kind of they dissipate because people are like you know what Let's just do this. Let's just have fun. There's not a lot of time on yeah. this earth. Do you, do you, is yeah. all of that mingling there for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that's you're just grateful that people gave a damn at all. Hmm. And if they're going to keep caring, then it's you just want to say thanks. And you know, it's a great, uh, you know, not to be too uh, PC or whatever, but it's a, it's a. We're very lucky. If you're if you're an American kid. Doesn't what doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, but you're playing in a band and you're and you're making money and you're you know and you're complaining. You know what I mean? I mean, considering yeah. what the world is, I yeah. mean, you just can't. You know, you know, you weren't a, you weren't a Cambo- you weren't born in Cambodia in 1972 under Pol Pot. You know what I mean? Like it's very yeah yeah. 
it's very, uh, for me, it's very important to put that in the front of your brain and be grateful that you, you know, you were able to whine about how bullshit the music industry was in America. You know what I mean? People love that Archer stuff. They love the fact that they yeah. love all the anti A&R stuff that the Archers wrote about, but what a, what a white privileged first world problem. You know what I mean? Like it's not a big, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't regret singing that stuff because it's what, the world I was in and it's what it is, but it's, you know, yeah. It's just I'm grateful. That's all. You well, know, and you, you've yeah. also done a lot, I think, to push against those <laughs> conventions. I mean, even the last, I, you know, I, you and I are, are Facebook friends, and I think maybe I'm, I like one of your pages because I, I would just, I think it was last year, I just got all these announcements saying you were playing in people's living rooms. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's good to do that. Yeah, it's, I'm doing those. I love doing those. Yeah, so that that is kind of bucking the system. That is kind of like, yeah. can you talk about that? Like, why? There's also, I will say. I think some artists are like, finally, I'm at the venue. I can relax on my. I have a bit of downtime. The living yeah. room situation is very different. I would think you've got to figure out if you're friendly with these people. You got to maybe deal with a bit more because it's unconventional. There's a bit more weirdness, I would say, inherently. What's your experience been like with those shows? Well, it's been great for me, uh, and I know friends who've done them, and have, they have had a little bit of a weird thing here or there. I haven't had that yet. And, and I don't know if it's because I'm older and my fans are older and they just don't, they're not enamored. Also, I'm not coming from a place where I was ever really a rock star. You know what I mean? I was never, the Archers were never that big and Crooked Fingers was smaller than that, you know, and yeah. where I am now is even smaller than that. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like the reason it's appealing for somebody like me is because you're mentioning that it's. It seems like you get to the club and you relax, but you, you know, for me, it's this living room thing is the least psychic drain. Oh, okay. It's the easiest thing to do because uh, I usually travel with my dog. Oh. And I'm by myself in a van, and I usually stay in the van. I'll get a campsite or something. I get hotels occasionally, you know, and uh, I'll stay at a friend's house or whatever. But I just I show up around seven at night. I don't have to do a sound check. I don't have to. All my my load in is like a couple a guitar and a banjo and. My merch, a little bit of merch, you know, very easy. Mm -hmm. And then I play for an hour and a half at eight. I'm done at nine thirty, and then I talk to people for about an hour, and then I leave. <laughs> That's so. There's no, yeah. there's no like dealing with a promoter at the end of the night to get paid, and no, no like it's not too drunk, and people are spitting in my ear drunk about 1993 or some shit I don't care about anymore. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. Nothing, yeah. All that stuff is kind of eliminated by this, and I think because you're so close, and I don't know why. But for me, people seem very respectful. Uh, I mean, I think they're, they'll they say things uh, that are real friendly, and it's a little awkward because they're too friendly sometimes. Right. Like, you know, now, I, now I just feel weird. You know, don't, don't be so nice right now. Just, just <laughs> say thanks and leave, you know. <laughs> so that, that's, but that's a good problem. Like, and in and worst-case scenario, I just say, cool, man, I got to go. I'm yeah. sorry, I got to go. You know, and I'm, I don't know. I just haven't had that experience yet where there's somebody who's been too weird. But do you um, do you ever get to a place and you're like, uh, this living room is kind of tiny. What uh, what are we doing here? I haven't had. That. I mean, the, I'm going through Undertow and Bob and Jane at Undertow, and they they've done it so long. They've done it since 2008. They started off with Dave Bazan doing them, I think, and they just kind of have it down. You know, they have it organized with. with oh, okay. The, it's, own... There's an itinerary. Like, oh, I see. Someone is sort of planning this for you it's not just you oh yeah oh, okay yeah. okay oh yeah I, I i'm quite introverted so 
the whole I, I never did this. Like I have friends that have been doing these: Richard Buckner, David Bazan, yeah. Will Johnson. These are all friends of mine, and yeah. they've been doing them for years. You know, and they were like, "Hey, man, you should try thinking. You should think about doing living room shows. They're pretty good." You know, I'm like, "I don't think so, man. I couldn't. I couldn't do it because of what you were saying. I thought that I'm too introverted. I can't deal with people. Like this. I can't do it. You know." <laughs> and uh, I was talking with my friend Josh Modell, who used to work at the AV Club, and. Uh, and he, he he told me about Bob Andrews, the guy that runs Undertow, and and I was thinking about getting out of Nico's band because I had was, my wife was pregnant. And I was figuring out a way to do this without having to get a big band together and tour like crazy, and that's expensive. And you know you can do it, but and, I, and anyway, long story short, I just let me do a week. Yeah, yeah. And I contacted Bob, and I did a week, and I loved it. And then I did two weeks, and then I loved that. And then I just kind of fell into him um, because it's very. Uh, you're, you, you know, I'm introverted, so I'm driving in a van. I'm in my van with my dog for 20 hours a day. Yeah. And then four hours, I got to be nice to people. That seems pretty good. That's not that bad. Like, and play an hour and a half of that. So really, it's it's only two and a half hours. I got to be nice to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can do that. Is there a way we can get you to Guelph? We got to figure this out. We gotta well, I'm pl- uh, I'm playing in a I'm playing in a, a London. I got a living room show in London. Yeah, that's Ontario. that's fair. That's not that. That's an hour and fifteen minutes away. Yeah, that's okay. I can do it. <laughs> and I've done it I've before. Got a, uh, I've got a. Uh, I've got a show at the Drake in Toronto. Oh, sweet. Okay, not a living room. And then, and then we're playing in Hamilton. No, that's not a living room. We're playing in Hamilton at the Casbah on October eighth. Okay, that seems like uh, enough. Are you saying? Are you saying, Vish, settle down? There's many well, options no, for you. I drive past Guelph all the time. <laughs> and from, a, from an outsider, you just like Hamilton, Guelph, all those places, Waterloo. It's all just Toronto. And it's all just, you know what I mean? It's all just, Toronto's such a sprawl. Well, we should you, we should figure this out. I work at the college radio station. We gotta, This is not for this interview, but we should. Uh, <laughs> let's figure yeah. this out, Eric. We'll, we'll get you in there to do a, something. We, we should if you're passing by and you see it. It's a lovely little university, college town. I think you might enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, if you think I would uh, I would sell okay doing a living room show there, I just need to do a you gotta find we gotta find somebody that would host a living room and I'll yeah. do it you know yeah all right I, I will uh, this this has prompted me to think about it but we'll that we'll yeah. save we'll save the business for off mic I will just say that yeah. <laughs> this yeah. record is uh, fantastic it's it's called no recover and you are going to be touring uh, as you say quite a bit uh, where can people learn more about this record Eric so you can go to the Eric Bachman Facebook page you can go to merge.com and just look up Eric Bachman there's all kinds of stuff you know my Twitter page whatever it's all kind of connected I, I hit you know I put it on Facebook. It goes all over the place on my Instagram, whatever. It's all just Eric Bachman, you know. Okay, you're on Twitter. So, Are you actively on Twitter? Uh, I announce stuff on Twitter. I'm not giving my opinions too much on Twitter. Mm. I'm mostly just announcing my tours and ticket sales and, and things like that. Um, but I love the format, and I do read a lot of people that I like their opinions about other political things and other things. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I basically am going on tour. I'll just say it here: I'm going on tour uh, on basically east of the Mississippi um, from October uh, from September 27th through October 14th. Okay. And we're going to camp. We have three shows in Canada. We have one in Hamilton, one in Toronto. That's the Drake in Toronto and the Casbah in Hamilton. And we're playing a living room show in London, Ontario. Okay. All right. And we'll work on And all that stuff's on my website, ericbachman.com or uh, my Facebook page, which is just Eric Bachman. Okay. It's, you know, Okay, that sounds good. We'll work on getting you a Guelph date somehow as well, or something. We'll do something. Yeah, I'm, I'm, what I do, I go out for about a week and I come back, so that's a great. I can go, 
you know, because I have a son, so I, I don't leave town for too long because I want to have a relationship when I'm all with him when I'm all older. So yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good call. Yeah. Is there a particular song from No Recover that you would suggest we play for people right now? I'd play the first one because it's the easiest to get to, and it's something I think it, it encapsulates what the record's going on. It's about the apocalypse and two people that are trying to stay in love during the apocalypse. Does this reflect your personal romantic relationship in any way? No, they're immigrants. Okay. They're immigrants. I, I've envisioned them as immigrants on a, on a train. This the, the song starts with this train sound. and Yeah. Uh, it's it's very abstract. I'm just telling you what it was in my mind. You won't hear this story necessarily in the song, but it's it's what it was kind of spawned from in my mind. Well, there's wonderful, called, wonderful musical production on this record as well. A lot of understated electronic kind of stuff. It's really well done. Thanks. Well, it's less stuff than ever. There's very little stuff on it. Each track's about six things. Yeah. You know, these yeah. days with Pro Tools, people have like 70 things on their on their, on their their sessions. I got like six. I got an acoustic guitar, a Moog, and a little rhythm thing, and that's and then maybe some bass. That's it. The vocal, you know, very stripped down. Well, it's stripped down, but it, yeah, it's effective. It's full. It's, it's full. It yes. has a fullness for sure, yeah. yeah. This is Jaded Lover, Shady Drifter from No Recover by Eric Bachman. Eric, thank you so much for this time today, and best Ace, of luck with everything. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
It's always very pleasing to me when I have a genuine hero on my show. Special thanks again to Eric Bachman for appearing on this, the 415th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify and YouTube and Audio Boom as well. If for some reason you can't find an episode that you've heard about or have been looking for on any of those platforms, or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com, V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, with a K, or follow me at vishkana, also with a K. You can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, around the world at CFRU.ca, or if you're in or near Guelph on an actual radio at 93.3 FM. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. It really it means so much. It's a tremendous thing to have you pledging to our Patreon uh, and we don't have uh, a ton of Patreon pledges, but they all count, and uh, we could always benefit from some more. So if you enjoy the show and want to contribute a little something each month just to keep it going, that would be amazing. Patreon.com slash creative control. I'd like to take a moment to once again thank the in-kind support I receive from businesses like Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts. Also, my friend Jim Guthrie lets me use the instrumental version of The Rest is Yet to Come to end this show each week, and you can learn more about Jim, and I urge you to do so at his website, jimguthrie.org. Follow him on Twitter at jampants. That's a name that he's sticking with, jampants. That's right. And finally, thanks to you for listening to this show regularly, if you do, and if you're new to it, hey, welcome. Welcome to the show. There's lots of, there's like, this is 415 Obviously, there's 414 before it, so feel free to dig in. It's it's a nice thing I tried to do. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on it, and uh, if, you, if you're new to the show, again, I appreciate you checking this episode out, and I hope you'll check out more. And also, for those of you uh, who have heard this spiel before, please, uh, for those of you who haven't, I guess is really who I was sending this out to, please consider rating it, uh, reviewing it, and downloading episodes uh, wherever, whatever platform you use. Subscribe to the show. And that all helps as well in a little way. It seems to spread the word about it. So thanks to all of you for doing all of that stuff. I will continue to do all the stuff I do. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.